This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, have you ever been hacked? Are you or your department or business or school at risk of being the victim of ransomware? What are large agencies doing to protect themselves? And what can we do as individuals to protect our phones, tablets, and computers from being hacked? Well, Our guest today is going to answer those questions. He's Eric Escobar, Principal Consultant, Wireless Lead, and Adversary Group Team Leader at SecureWorks Security and Risk Consulting. And um, he can talk about the threats to government agencies and to us as individuals. So welcome to Policing Matters, Eric Escobar. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Hey, great. So news reports talk about cities and whole governments who have paid millions in ransom to cyber pirates who somehow managed to hack systems. In August 22, the California Department of Justice concealed weapons database for the state was hacked and thousands of names and information was accessed. I think I might be on that list. Uh, What are we doing about it? What's California do when something like that happens. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think an important distinction to draw there is, uh, first and foremost, my information was also contained in that breach. So I'm not super excited about that. I got that letter in the mail. Um, but but one of the things though, when you look at how websites um, operate, how government agencies operate, is they have a teeter-totter of you know making information available to the public, uh, but then also keeping information private to citizens, um, you know, or or you know, if they're not a government, to to clients and customers that are, want that information to be kept, you know, private and confidential. And so, really drawing that fine line between what information you know should be out there and available, what should be kept private, and then uh, all the you know information systems um, that have to be basically kept up to date with that information that that make that public to you know, the private backend database, right? Um, and so that's that's one of those things that when you look at uh, how these systems, you know, are made and, and typically, um, you know, maintained, um, there has to be a lot of, you know, quality control, a lot of quality assurance put in there. Um, and then and then obviously I do security. So I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, have some, have some security um, testing done against that. Because a lot of the times, uh, some of the things that you find aren't necessarily like, um, you know, oh, this is a really old exploitable web host. Because if if I remember correctly, the Department of Justice, you know, California um, breach that happened, is that wasn't caused by an outdated system. It was just something that was overly per- permissive and basically allowed you, you know, to search not only your name, but, you know, potentially other other individuals' names and, and provide that information uh, more verbosely than it should have. And so, Testing not necessarily just you know hey is something old and vulnerable but hey should should an end user be able to you know access somebody else's information without a username or password or some other type of authentication mechanism um, that's key and that's huge and, and that's just you know that's not even like a, an old vulnerable machine that's just business logic that isn't programmed correctly and so always having 
um, you know, your application tested, your website tested, your, you know, process checked uh, by a third party is, is crucial and important. And I'm sure that California is going to be looking at this and, you know, uh, hopefully going to learn a lesson from it. Yeah. And I mean, I hear what you're saying about, um, you know, the systems and the passwords and all that. And for school, it is ridiculous. Uh, the the hoops that we've got to jump through just to look at our email. Is that where we're going? Is that what uh, governments are doing? These sort of multiple uh, redundant uh, logins to, to protect ourselves? So, um, I mean, gosh, for every for every, every agency, every company, there's a different authentication and authorization mechanism to, to access systems. Um, and, and really the, the biggest thing that I kind of like look at and look forward to is um, at a bare minimum, uh, you know, a username and password and then multi-factor authentication. And, and I'm sure that, you know, every, everybody is familiar to a degree with um, username and password. And then in addition to like maybe a text message or maybe, uh, you know, a rolling code or some other second thing um, to log in. And basically the reason why it's called second factor authentication or multi-factor authentication is because the first factor is your username and password, just standard, you log into a website. And then the second factor or the multiple factor is typically something, something that you have. So you know your password. And then the second factor is something that you have. And that could be, you know, an app on your phone. That could be uh, the text message that you receive. Um, or, you know, even a, even a physical key card um, in the stance of some, you know, some more secure agencies or more secure um, authorization or authentication mechanisms. Yeah, like a like a fob that we, we've been. Given. Exactly. And, and actually, what's interesting, too, is, is a lot of the newer, newer systems, they look at multiple points of um, of like where you are. So, for example, right now I'm on the central coast of California. And if I were to try and log into my email, it might say, hey, you know what? Eric doesn't appear to be at home at this point, um, but he is using his normal device and he is logging in with his right password. So we might let him go. And depending on the sensitive, you know, how much sensitive information I want to access, it might say, hey, you need to log in if you don't meet, you know, uh, you know, any number of different checks and balances in that system. So on the back end, it's even a lot smarter sometimes. And, and that's where I see most things going to, um, which I think, I think a lot of end users would appreciate not always having to relog back in or always having to you know, push that button over and over. You're right. And for, for governments like um, policing, for example, uh, what are outside malicious agents looking for? I mean, for, uh, is it the ransom? Because what are they going to get? Um, criminal histories? What are they looking for when they try to hack into a police department? Gosh, so uh, after having hacked into several police departments myself, I can tell you there's a wide range of of different things that an attacker would look for. And, and I must, I, first of all, let me just say, I do this with the permission, obviously, of the police department, of the correctional agency that we're doing stuff for, mm -hmm. all in the name to make them more secure. But really, um, you know, the attack, the attacker that's going to try and breach your system, uh, they're going to have a bunch of different goals, potentially. Um, your, your most unsophisticated threat actors, they're just going to ransomware your system, right? So they're going to try and compromise your network, compromise your machines, and they're going to try and take you offline and say, hey, pay us the cryptocurrency, pay us the Bitcoins, and uh, we'll unlock your files for you. Um, that is kind of like the base level. That's mostly what you hear about in the news is, you know, um, you know, different companies, different, you know, potentially uh, uh, government entities, getting their files, getting their servers locked up and locked out of, um, and then just, hey, pay us, pay us a bribe, um, or, you know, pay us uh, your ransom. And that's, that's kind of one of those things that, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but that's the run of the mill. Um, you have more advanced threat actors and what they might do is they might look for 
specific files that, um, you know, that are more incriminating, or they might pull an entire database of, of user information, right? If you're just, you know, some plain Jane hacker trying to get information, maybe all you want is, you know, or trying to lock up files, maybe all you want is just ransomware and cash is a quick way to get out the door. Mm. But if you're potentially a nation state or somebody who has a vested interest, you might be, you know, you might be uh, accessing court records. You might be accessing, um, you know, criminal histories. You might be trying to modify criminal histories. You might be trying to modify criminal records um, and trying to basically undermine that system. And so there's a lot of things that an attacker, once they get in there, um, the sky's the limit as far as what they may want to do and what their, um, you know, what their goals are. And especially if they're state-sponsored or sponsored by a more well-funded, you know, criminal unit, criminal, you know, syndicate or organization, um, they don't necessarily have to worry about monetizing their activities. They might just have the ability right then and there to say, hey, uh, I'm getting funded from a completely separate entity. I don't need to try and monetize this through ransomware. I could potentially just sell off this information, which, um, you know, not every company, right? If I'm trying to break into like a shampoo company, um, that, there's not going to be a lot of uh, potentially juicy material to go after. Unlike a police department, well, they have the information, criminal records, you know, all, all of this wealth of information, um, you know, that, that a population would care about if it got released. Um, so there's there's a lot to unpack in there, but do you have, do you have any more questions with that? I mean, I could talk about yeah. this just in it itself. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and and I understand we're sort of talking at the ten thousand, not the thirty thousand foot level, but maybe the ten thousand foot level. Yeah, and to our listeners, I want to tell you that you know I asked Eric before the show if I could ask about specific law enforcement agencies and what we're doing. And of course he says, no, because, you know, if he told me he'd have to kill me and then I'd have to do the same. <laughs> so we're not going there. But I do want to ask this question. Who are these cyber criminals? Are they, you know, disenfranchised incels living in the basements of their parents' homes? Or is there a common country or location within the U.S.? where somebody's, uh, I mean, it's an organized crime syndicate, I guess I'm asking. Yeah, and, and I think that is, um, so, so to, to basically try and, try and paint as a broader brush and then also sure. like as fine point of brush as possible. Um, I mean, they come, you know, they come from all, all walks of life. You have, uh, you know, there have been criminals that have been arrested and, you know, they have been a part of, you know, large, large, you know, standard corporate companies and had a, good W-2 job and, you know, at night decided to, you know, have these nefarious activities either because, you know, they, they weren't satisfied with the amount of money they were making in their corporate job or because, you know, they potentially didn't like the, you know, the entity that they were attacking and wanted to help, you know, bring that entity down, uh, whatever that may be. But in the same vein, there's also 14-year-olds and teenagers and, and, you know, a whole range of just young kids that, uh, you know, that are incredibly smart. And, you know, have been able to infiltrate some some absolutely huge, um, uh, you know, different entities. I mean, if you look at the, the recent Lazarus group, they were like a hacking group that got broken up. I think I believe that some of them were like a UK and a Brazilian teenager that were, you know, some of the some of the biggest uh, fish that were caught in this hack. And you're looking at teenagers. Mm. Right. So it's um, it's everything from the full spectrum of like, hey, you have Russian hackers that, you know, are in the Baltic states. Um, because they know that there's not going to be extradition. And then you also have, you know, 14-year-olds that live in, you know, Massachusetts, California, wherever in the United States. Um, so they really do come from all over. But, but overall, I think, um, you know, if you, if you had to like kind of try and pin down, hey, who's doing what here? Um, you have the big, you know, nation states that have their 
professional hired, uh, you know, hackers that, that work under their respective governments. Then you have kind of like more of the, the gangs that the local countries will turn a blind eye to and say, hey, as long as you're not, ta- you know, attacking the homeland, um, by all means, you're free to do it here as long as you're not attacking, you know, your home country. Uh, and then you have, you know, going down the ladder, you know, different organized groups that might um, specialize in a particular activity or they might specialize in trying to take down a specific type of entity um, all the way down to just, uh, you know, hacktivists, you know, maybe one off lone wolves that just want to see if they can take a, you know, something offline because um, you know, either they're not fulfilled what they currently do um, or, or just because, you know, they could even be young kids. So hopefully, hopefully that kind of paints like an overall picture. But if you want to dig into anything deeper, by all means. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would love to talk about, you know, what's this current strategy among uh, cities and, and larger entities? Are they just paying the ransom or is there uh, some sort of strategy being used to sort of track them down? But I also want to ask about us, the listeners, as individuals, what's our biggest threat? What can we do to protect ourselves? Um has there been any progress in stopping ransomware either for against big corporations or individuals? Yeah, you know, I I think that there has been so so it's funny. I was actually talking to a, a good friend of mine who's who's in the industry. Um, only they are in the cyber insurance realm, and really, it's one of these things that when you look at, uh, um, you know, before you used to be able to buy a cyber liability policy, right? So if you got ransomware, if you got hacked, if you got compromised, you would then call up your insurance agent and say, hey, we got hacked, we need to cash in our cyber liability policy and go from there, right? Um, And so if you look back maybe five years, you could buy, you know, obviously, I don't know current prices of of like what cyber liability insurance would be. But basically, you buy, you know, some some amount of insurance, it would be completely reasonable. And you just had to say like, yeah, you know, we're doing our best to keep our computers updated. Well, now, if you're to try to go buy cyber liability insurance, you need to, at a minimum, have you know long character passwords, multi-factor authentication, current you know current level operating systems, um, you know all of what you know, and that's just to even get the insurance if you could even purchase it. Um, I've seen several companies that they haven't even been able to purchase cyber liability insurance because of the amount that they want or the size that they are. So it's not even it's not even the fact that uh, it's an increased prices that they aren't even able to to get it at that level, and so. Basically, to, to go back to bring this back to your question of like, um, what is you know how how is this affecting companies and our companies entities able to um, defend better? The insurance companies are basically saying, hey, you need to get better if you even want this insurance. And so you're seeing a lot of companies that might have previously said, yeah, security, that's good, we want it, but ah, sorry, there's no funding this year. That are now you know turning mm-hmm. right around saying, hey we need penetration tests done. We need whatever this multi-factor authentication thing is called. Uh, we need those strong passwords. We need all this stuff, not necessarily because they want to be more secure, but because insurance is dictating that, hey, if you want to have this insurance, you need to do these things. Mm. Um, so so that that's really interesting from the perspective that really the insurance companies are the ones driving a lot of this when, when you take a look at ransomware, when you take a look at all these breaches, um, because you know they've been have insurance companies have lost millions and millions of dollars in the past couple of recent years because of ransomware attacks, because of all of this. And they're realizing that, hey, uh, before there wasn't a lot of data surrounding this, but but now we need to get better information, better data, because we can't just write these policies because we're losing a ton of money now. Sure. Hey, uh, okay. So I want to talk next about uh, protection against um, threats, that, you know, things that we can do as individuals. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. 
Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Eric Escobar, cybersecurity risk consultant, And Eric, you talk about the big entities, the agencies, uh, the big deep pockets people that are getting ransomed. What about us as individuals? Um, And of course, you know, we know about these phishing schemes and, you know, shame on you if you're falling for these, you know, you've won a car or whatever, and just, you know, send all your information here. Um, The other day I was selling some kayaks, my personal story, I'm selling a couple of kayaks and this guy says, hey, I'll buy your kayaks full price, no questions asked. Uh, no, yeah, I don't even need to see pictures or come check it out. Uh, give me your Venmo address. And I send it and I get this message back saying, hey, this guy tried to send you um, $800 and uh, you need to um, open up your account and and like make it a business account so he can add more money. And I stopped in my tracks and I thought, oh, no. And I went back and I looked at the um, the address for what was supposed to be, you know, quote Venmo, but it wasn't. I guess the guy made up his own, um, you know, phishing scheme and wanted me to enter my data and send it to that thing. So, of course, I shut everything down and, um, you know, blocked him after that. Um what else can we do? What are, what do you see as the current, um, you know, we're no longer getting um, messages from our cousin in, in jail in some foreign country send, saying, send $500 in gift cards so you can bail me out. What do you see in today? Yeah, so um, I, so before, before we, Jim and I were talking on the podcast or about the podcast, um, I was basically saying, yeah, I do, I do, I help large Fortune 500 companies all the way to agencies uh, help protect their cybersecurity. But I also do the same thing for my wife, my family, my mom, and my dad, and and all of my relatives. So I get all the same general questions of like, oh my gosh, you know, my Venmo, my, uh, you know, all my bank accounts, you know, what what do I do? What do I do? Right. Um, And realistically, uh, you know, it's, it's, there are a ton of crazy, weird tactics, phishing schemes out there. But um, the answer isn't super sexy. It's kind of the same thing, like going to your doctor and finding out, you know, what is the best five-minute workout to burn fat? Really good security hygiene, you know, just just doing the things that you should do. Use unique passwords for everything that, you know, you have. Use a password manager. You know, there's tons of them out there, like LastPass, Dashlane, to manage all those passwords. Anywhere that's a, you know, sensitive account, use multi-factor authentication that we were talking about previously so that. Even so, Jim, if you were to have given that, that you know, scammer your Venmo credentials, if you had multi-factor authentication in your Venmo, he wouldn't have been able to log into your account and send any funds anywhere. He would have been stuck at the point asking for that second factor of authentication. Hmm. So just doing those basic things of using good passwords, using multi-factor authentication, keeping your devices updated, 
And really, I think the other thing too that you know many law enforcement you know individuals will tell you is you know have situational awareness that extends into cybersecurity just you know in just the same way. If some if something feels a little fishy, if you get that funny feeling in the back of your mind saying this seems too good to be true, that's that situational awareness is really protecting you, right? So just take a moment and you did the exact right thing. Take a moment, think about it to yourself, and say, "Hmm, this seems not quite right. Uh, let me let me inspect this. Let me look a little bit harder. Let me not jump." Um, right away, but but also hackers and attackers, you know, fishers, scammers, whatever you call them, they know that, and so that's why there's the high pressure, high stakes. They want to, they want you to not critically think. They want you to act now. They want you to click the link, give the information because, hey, you know, uh, there's a million dollars that you could cash in on right now, or hey, an IRS agent is going to come knocking at your door if you don't, you know, send a gift card right away over the phone. So it's one of those things that it's it's not crazy hard. It's not you know one of these things that's like the be all end all. But using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, strong passwords, and just keeping things updated and having that that good just general situational awareness in all walks of life, that's going to do so much for you that that I can't think of a single instance where one, if not multiple of those, would have stopped you know a scammer or attacker um, from gaining access to any of my friends or family's accounts or information um, you know that was trying that they were trying to get scammed out of. Yeah, and and I would imagine that your advice would be not to take the free Wi-Fi at a coffee shop or at the airport, <laughs> things like you laugh, but well, me, so, I've done it. So the, the reason that I laugh is because my, my actual title, or I should say actual title, but my specialty is wireless security, wireless controls, wireless protocols, and all that jazz. So um, when, I, when I go and compromise a site as a penetration tester, um, one of the things that I do is I stand up, you know, what would be a free Wi-Fi? what would be a you know something that looks innocuous or something that looks like oh man i really need you know signal right now and then you know employees of this company will join my rogue access point you know my fake access point right. and when they join it i ask for credentials i ask for their email i ask for their login i ask you know just hey you know all this information and it is amazing what people uh will give you when they need to get access to the internet right away and so you know i've used that to compromise several companies um you know back to back where you know, these end users provide that information. So yeah, that's absolutely one of those things that I, I laugh about it, you laugh about it, but I've used that to compromise a Fortune 500 company. No problem at all because users just submit that information to me without without really thinking through what they're doing and what they're giving away to me. Sure, no, I, be I believe it, I believe it. Hey, yeah. so <laughs> I, I wanna wrap it up. Um, you are, uh, you know, in the stratosphere as far as security systems, I'm sure. Uh, you come with a big bill at the end of your time. Uh, thanks for talking to us for free today, by the way. Uh, do <laughs> do off-the-shelf virus protectors work? And to, to what extent, if they do? Honestly, um, so if you're just an individual, you're not like a large, big entity, you know, you're, you're not like a corporation, government, um, whatever that might be. Uh, using something like Windows Defender or so, so just a built-in, say, say you're running a standard Windows computer that you bought from Costco or, you know, Amazon. Sure. Um, using what is default in, in windows is, I mean, that's all I run. That's all I have. It's done such a good job, you know, long gone are the days where, um, you know, Macs never got viruses and windows computers, you know, were just riddled with them. Every time you go into a website using just the standard Google Chrome, um, and using up-to-date windows 10 or windows 11, uh, that is going to keep a lot of threat actors out of the way. And, and so much so that, 
you know, when I go up against uh, many systems like that, you know, it's like, oh man, everything's all the way up to date. There's no, you know, nothing new that's out there that I can exploit. I mean, they do, Microsoft has done an exceptional job at getting, you know, things up to snuff. And then same thing, Macs are also quite good as far as um, what that security looks like, just vanilla out of the box. Um, you know, if there's, if there's something, you know, if, if you want to feel like, you know, or get some other antivirus, um, by all means, it's really not going to hurt anything adding an extra layer, but, um, but really what comes just right out of the box with, with current gen operating systems is, is really quite good. Okay. I'm convinced. Um, you know, I've got a, a ton more questions, but I know you're running out of time. What's, what's, <laughs> a, what's the last uh, good advice you have for our listeners on their mobile or their desktop or laptops? Yeah. So, um, gosh, one last piece of advice. I think that would be to to really inspect what you receive via social media and especially email. So if you get any questionable emails, look at who the email has come from. So you mentioned that you got an email from Venmo that it was their own domain. Um, really inspect that, really look at that, because that is that is really one of the main ways that somebody like me or somebody, uh, you know, that's trying to scam you or fish you is going to really get in there is that they're going to look like they're coming from a reputable source. Um, they're going to look like they're coming from a reputable company or email address, really inspect that email address, inspect any URL before you click it. Um, mm -hmm. Because those are, th those are the main ways that, you know, somebody's going to basically uh, lure you into a site or into a, an area of the internet that is, that is unsafe to you and your information. So um, yeah, that's what I would say. And, and it, honestly, I would love to come back. So if you guys have any other additional questions, I'd be more than happy to talk about it in another episode. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Maybe we can get into some specifics. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks for taking time, shedding light on these issues. Eric Escobar, principal consultant, wireless lead and adversary group leader at Secure Works, Security and Risk Consulting. Hey, thanks for your time. Absolutely, Jim. Talk to you later. Okay, to our listeners, hey, thanks for listening. I hope uh, what you heard today is helpful and that you take heed with what Eric talked about, uh, situational awareness, uh, scrutinizing you know, these uh, URLs and emails from people that you're not that familiar with, uh, using uh, uh, multi-authentications. I know they can be annoying, and when you really want to get to a website or to um, something that's passcode protected. You want to get there fast, but you know, uh, consider the alternatives. Let me know if you're enjoying the show. Drop me an email at policingmatters at police1.com, policingmatters at police1.com. Hey, thanks again for listening. I appreciate it. Stay safe, and I hope to chat with you again real soon. I'm Jim Dudley. Take good care.